Welcome to Season 3 of UDIA's Development Drum Podcast, where we speak to members and ask them to share some of their property industry insights and at the same time get to know our industry colleagues a little better. My guest today is Mike Hurley. Mike is one of the founders of ARIA and has been responsible for driving and running the residential development division of the company for the past decade. This includes four UDIA national award-winning high-rise developments, the Standard, Oxley and Stirling, the Melbourne Residences and Botanica. Over the last 10 years, Michael has been responsible for developing and delivering over 2,000 residential units across 15 projects valued at over $1.4 billion. Michael is a member of the Housing Industry Association Queensland Executive Team, UDIA Brisbane City Council Policy Committee, and he's also a Brisbane South Bank board member. When not at work, you can find Mike chasing around his two extremely energetic young kids, training for his next ultramarathon or planning his next family adventure. Thank you for joining us on The Development Drum, Mike. Now, Mike, of what ARIA has achieved thus far, what are you most proud of? And I know this is like asking you to pick your favourite child, which I'll ask you that later, but... Firstly, what are you most proud of what ARIA has achieved? Look, it's probably not a singular thing, so I might uh, not answer Both that. Both children uh, then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, there's probably a few different things that spring to mind. The first thing's probably our owners. It's sort of the look on the face of someone yeah. that walks into their apartment for the first time or we tour the common area or we show the rooftop or they get a coffee downstairs. So it's really the experience and seeing that we've not just met their expectations but hopefully exceeded yeah. it. Yeah. The next thing I think that I know I'm especially proud of and I think the whole of the company is sort of helping in small part redefine the definition of apartment living. Yeah. You know, 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, it was sort of, you know, you lived in an apartment, that was it, four walls and a roof. And now apartment living these days in some developments is a completely different world. Mm. We have day spas and, you know, health and wellness centers and these crazy rooftops and restaurants and cafes in the buildings and you know now it's you know the apartment is only a small yes. part of what you're buying and getting so yeah. I think that's been really cool and then you know the probably the other thing that we're really p- proud of at ARIA is is our public realm projects because yeah. whilst there might be a couple of hundred people a day that might interact with our buildings you know there are tens of thousands yes. of people a day that interact with our public realm so to sort of you know do the Ulster Lane and the yeah. fish lanes and town squares and, and these other amazing public realm projects, they're, uh, they're also something that we're really immensely proud of, as am I. It's really interesting, isn't it? When we do our qualitative research, it's often those places that people, strangely, don't often associate with that being development or delivered by developers. Do we need to get better at telling that story, that it's more than just the bricks and mortar? It is about creating places? Look, I think absolutely, because it can't just be on council or state to do that because, you know, at the end of the day, they've got a lot on their plate. And I think as developers, we sort of have a bit of a responsibility. And, you know, some people just have a completely different mindset. Some people are like, it's just a building, I want to mm-hmm. make some money out of it, I'll dress up the front. 
but other people want to take a whole yeah. street-wide or a precinct-wide approach and want to sort of do things a little bit bigger and better and just horses for courses. But certainly for us, we like to think really big picture and we like to sort of place make and, and really change an area we're in. You talked before about the joy that you see on customers' faces when they they realise what they've bought or what they're about to purchase into. Is that what gets you up and out of bed in the morning or is it more the two energetic children? <laughs> <laughs> look, I, a little I, from column A, a little from column B. Yeah, yeah. Look, <laughs> I love what I do. I get to go to work every day with a couple of my best mates I grew up with. I get to do something that's, that's pretty amazing yeah. and creating these buildings and creating places where people live and create memories. And we've had people, you know, I brought my firstborn back to the unit that I lived in that we developed and, amazing. you know, we've had people married on uh, buildings and fall in love there and, you know, all the stages of life. So yes. it's it's pretty cool to be able to do that. And we just want to do things that we're proud to walk our families past in yeah. 20 years' time. So it's really a, a legacy piece for us. And and now we're getting to have a lot of fun and get to sort of do some pretty radical stuff and, and sort of bend and change how developments are perceived and being mm-hmm. done and really get to do things that are, uh, you know, not just great for Brisbane or first in Australia. We're getting to do some stuff that's, you know, on a world, world stage scale. and mm-hmm. getting to do that in Brisbane's uh, pretty exciting. Absolutely. What's um, been your biggest or hardest lesson? Look, probably the hardest lesson is also the thing that makes Aria Aria now. So, you know, sort of 10, 12 years ago, I won't mention the project, but we did something that we just didn't feel great about. Like it was just something that was just a bit underwhelming. We just didn't deliver what we wanted to deliver or we did. And we just had this terrible feeling forever that was just, it wasn't a great outcome. And sort of at that point in time, we sort of re-pivoted the whole company and we basically said that we'll only do developments that we're proud to walk our families past in 20 Mm -hmm. years' time. But that goes a step further and it's really as simple as would we sell our parents or our brother and sister or our best friend a unit in this development? Because if you do that and it's not a great outcome, you're going to hear about it. For the rest of your life. For the rest of your life. (laughs) So then that was sort of an overriding approach on all the decisions we did. You know, how do we get better floor plans? How do we do better amenities? How do we just place make better? So all of the decisions we make on a day-to-day basis is with that really long-term approach. And, you know, over the years, we got better and better at that. We figured it out a lot more. And, you know, we're, we're certainly not the final product, but, you know, we're now doing things mm. that that are uh, pretty cool and buildings that we are very proud of. And yeah. we've got friends and family that own in the buildings. I keep a unit personally in every development we do. We've got staff that buy in. We've got yeah. friends and family and we've got – so it's it's sort of, you know, that's the real thing that drives us and – yeah. Does that become more challenging at different parts in the cycle, having that goal yes. of just yes. absolute quality, yes. absolute excellence, better than the last building? How do you deal with that when you foresee or when you hit that really difficult part in the market? Very, very challenging to do and it's really testing. And in fact, we went through that in the last sort of nine months. Yeah, of we course. had. We had a builder, we all know that a few of us were using that went bankrupt. Mm. We had make a really, really painful decision because pretty much the day that happened, we lost most of the profit, if not all of it in the job. But the biggest thing that we had to uh, deal with is we had a clause in our contract, like a lot of people do, that would have allowed us 
to terminate those yeah. sales, resell the units at a substantially higher price because the market had kicked, mm-hmm. or gone back to those clients and said, hey, I just lost a lot of money. You need to kick in some money or I'm going to terminate you. But we made the right decision, mm-hmm. which is also the hardest decision <laughs> in the world, to not do that and said, no, no, you bought off us. You bought off Aria. You trusted us. Mm-hmm. Just because this thing happened, we're not going to make our problem your problem. So we made the hard decision. We honored everything. We said, you bought off Aria. Don't worry about who the builder is. We're going to step in. Mm-hmm. We're going to complete it. And, you know, every single decision to actually make sure that you do what you say you're going to do, you build it as per the plans, you you see that quality through, you don't value engineer, you don't cut corners, you don't substitute. And we've made sure that they're going to get exactly what we represented and more Mm. in our area. We like to always exceed expectations. So the last 12 to 18 months has been the hardest of our careers, certainly in 25 years I've been in the industry, it's it's been the most painful period. Yeah. But long term, we know that that's going to come back because at the end of the day, you've only got your word mm. and your ethics and morals and, we, you know, we just won't compromise on that. It's been interesting from an outsider's perspective to watch the evolution of ARIA in terms of the final built product. When you're sitting down with a blank piece of paper at the start of the next project, Where's your North Star? Is it about the learnings that you've had from a development perspective as you've been delivering the building? Is it feedback from existing residents? How does that sort of come together? You have a fairly clear idea about how you're going to deliver that next project. Good question. It's all of the above. You know, we're just always building on what we've done in the past. And one of the great things about us managing all of our buildings, so we keep the management right so that we're in constant communication with not only our purchases, but in most cases, all the tenants and and all the people living in the building. So we're getting feedback 20 times a day, 365 days a year, how we can do a better job, what's working, what's not working, where the market's sort of wanting to go. And what's been an amazing thing or what's something that people maybe don't place as much emphasis on. So having that 360 feedback loop is always helping us that when we're, you know, like right now we're designing a building, you know, as we speak and we're sort of going, all right, in the health and wellness area, we measure how often is a sauna being used, how often is people taking the cold bath, what bit of cardio equipment is most in demand. So we're getting that feedback all the time. And then it's getting harder and harder. (laughs) We're always wanting to evolve and constantly improve and learn those lessons. But, you know, like there's a a building that we might have won a a big award for that recently, I have a list of about 360 items in an Excel spreadsheet that we can do a better job. It's amazing. So I get my development head, my ADM, my construction, everyone down to the on-site management team to just say, well, what could we do better? We put that all down and then we, you know, see if we can implement and make all those changes in the next building so that we hopefully don't make the same mistake twice. Fantastic to have that information though, isn't it? You can't imagine, I imagine now how that would play out without having that data. 
No, look, it's been a huge game changer for us. And, you know, we we sort of, we were like a lot of other people. We'd sell off our management mm-hmm. rights back in the day and we'd say, job done. We've built our building. It's all good. But then we realized yeah. our owners are there forever and it's yeah. their experience. And no one has the passion that we do. And, you know, we want to do buildings that, yes, they've got to look great on day one, but we want them to mature and age so that in year five, year 10, year 20, they're as good, if not better, Can than I? they were at the beginning. Yeah. And we're always constantly reinvesting in our buildings. We have a person whose full-time job is first experiences and legacy buildings. Yes. So we're actually going back to buildings we did three, five, seven years mm. ago and actually spending money on them or improving or or tweaking things up. So it's really, really important cool. to us. Now, critically, what is the answer to the question of which is the most used piece of cardio equipment? <laughs> I think the good old-fashioned treadmill oh, no, still wins. You're training for an ultra marathon. Is there a potential bias in the answer to that question? <laughs> well, believe it or not, the treadmill is high impact, so you can get some really good zone two cardio from a stationary bike or an elliptical machine. Okay, there you go. So you don't just have to, to pound tr- the pavement or a treadmill. I will trust you on that. So how long's an ultra marathon? Technically, it's anything over a marathon distance, anything longer than 42Ks. Why, Mike? (laughs) Really good question. I have a twin brother and he sort of retired from rugby a little bit before me and he uh, he sort of decided to take on an ultra marathon and and I figured, well, if he can do it and uh, he sort of uh, learnt a few lessons about himself during it, I was very curious about what you go through. Because everyone wants to quit at some stage yep. and it's how you, you fight that little, that voice in your head that says stop. Mine's around the 3K mark. <laughs> so all the best. Yeah. <laughs> Talk us through. So Mike wakes up in the morning. What's the best bit of your job? Is it the clean slate of starting a new project and building up or is it the end of the project in terms of delivery? And what's the most challenging bit of that day for Mike? Um, the best bit can be any interactions with UDIA, I should say, too. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I just think it's just, you know, collaborating. We've got an amazing culture. Like we, we say, you know, when people, we employ people at ARIA, we say we're not employing you for a job. We're, we're asking you if you want to join our family. Yeah. So I get to go to work with some pretty amazing people. So it's a really, you know, I get to hang out with my mates every day. Yeah, that's great. So to go into work's uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. And we do have a lot of fun at ARIA. And then it's just pushing the boundaries. Like if we see something or we think of something, we're not smart enough to know we can't do it. And then when people tell us we can't do it, we kind of you ask why. take that why. as some encouragement, well, do you? <laughs> we, a, a no is just a request for more information. Yeah. <laughs> so the more times someone says no to us, the more passionate we are to, to fix that. So we just like challenging things mm. and, um, you know, creating um, projects and things that now potentially in some instances have never been done before. So it's just, um, you know, and um, I'm kind of unemployable in any other sphere. So I think this is the only gig I can <laughs> Don't do. Don't say that. We can find something for you, Mike. <laughs> now, and the most challenging bit, is that the training for the ultra marathon? Is that the worst bit? No, I'd say the most challenging thing is dealing with things outside of your control, like having, yeah. you know, a year where construction prices do yes. 30 to 40%. You know, it's, that ruins it's, the day, doesn't well, it? Well, yeah. it makes it really hard when you have a builder go under really hard. Yeah. You know, when costs of funds have now basically doubled or tripled, it makes things really challenging. So it's always dealing. Now, we never know where that sort no. of, you know, right hook's going to come from. We just know it's going to happen. Yeah. So I'd say that's the hardest thing is sort of 
dealing with the unexpected. Um, we've got some rules at ARIA that we try not to mm. break and follow that puts us in a good position when the unexpected happens. But, you know, it's then problem solving, knowing that you'll eventually get through it. Yes. But it's just what's that roadmap and path through it. And we're still figuring that out right now because mm. I, I think the next 12 months is going to be as hard as the last 12 months. Yeah, we're not through it, are we? No. You know, it's not as if with the calendar ticked over and we're fresh start, new year, new me. There's still some legacy challenges we're going to have to grapple our way through, I think. Yeah, absolutely. There's a couple of big ones. And on that, what are those big ones? What are we going to have to, as an industry, really grapple with in 2023? Look, I just think we've got a big thing about, as we all know, about housing supply, affordability. And I think the biggest thing we've all got to grapple with is how do we achieve that? Mm. I personally think the answer isn't just continue to bulldoze as far as the eye can see and build 400 square metre blocks where people are commuting an hour and a half to work. I don't think that's the answer. So I think the answer is infill development and putting density in the places that can support that density. So it's all the logical stuff. It's the stuff we already all know. Like you go to all the cities around the world, everyone that's gone through these growth challenges, everyone's answer is the same, but it's getting everyone onto that same page as to what the answer is. And who's the most critical group there that you think we really need to get across the line? Is it the community or is it the politicians? Believe it or not, I think it's the community because yeah. it's at the end of the day, the community is the one that that elects the elected officials and they're the ones that tell them what they want. So I think it's educating them as to, you know, I was just up the Sunshine Coast and there's a massive issue there with, you know, homelessness and it's not just the people you'd usually yeah. associate. It's, you know, mum with two kids that are sleeping in the car in the school car park mm-hmm. because the rental they had is now an Airbnb and there's now a hundred people applying for one townhome on the Sunshine Coast. So I think it's fixing that. And I think there's this whole concept about not in my backyard or yes, we need social housing or yes, we need more density or yes, we need some more options, but just not in my street. Yes. And people just got to get past that and or there's unintended consequences. So I think it's just that education piece. I think Brisbane City Council did a really good job of it when they had that Build Your Brisbane app Mm. where it's sort of like, well, we have to house this many people. Now, if you just do houses, guess what? There's no parks, there's traffic congestion, and there's all these problems. Or if you put a sort of a mid-rise or a high-rise building, now all of a sudden you've got housing, the parks stay where they are, there's less traffic. But it's just finding that balance between obviously all the different housing types Mm. that we can do. So I think it's, it's the community needs to be better educated. And then I think the elected officials will make the right calls as long as the people sort of electing them are telling what they want. And now surely the right time to be having that discussion, you would think, isn't it? You don't speak to anybody that doesn't have that personal story of a friend or a family they know or someone that parents from the same school that their children go to who is having difficulty finding a rental property, is having difficulty imagining how they're going to get into home ownership. It really is at our doorstep now. Yeah, it's, it's so simple. It's like it's just supply and demand. People yep. don't realise. If yep. you constrain supply yep. and demand stays the same or increases like we've seen it, 
well, it's just going to cause affordability issues. Like, mm. you know, the Sunshine Coast is a perfect example a and example. you just got to look at Noosa. Yes. You can't get breakfast on Hastings Street anymore because they got no one to make the coffees or work anywhere because they've gone so far one way. Now, I understand some of the reasons behind yeah. that, but if you just constrain things, there's, there's going to be a lot of, I wouldn't say unintended because I think we all know no, the consequences. But yeah, so I think, you know, in Brisbane especially, we know the spots that can handle the density. It's then, you know, I think the opportunity for everyone is to look at increasing density where we can support it and where people have accepted mm. it. And, you know, obviously there are areas that need to remain tin and timber yep. and housing, but yep. we can house a lot of people in a, you know, in a building in South Brisbane versus a master plan community halfway to Ipswich. Mm. In thinking about a, a vertical built form apartment, high-rise apartment tower, do we also, as part of this conversation, really need to think through what are our key priorities? Are our key priorities achieving good design and delivering housing? Because it seems to me that over the you know past decade, decade and a half, we've also built in a whole lot more things that we would like to achieve out of the same building today compared to where we were 15 years ago. Do we need to start having some of those discussions too around affordability? Look, I think a lot of those are actually happening. I think we're doing a pretty good job of it. Mm. It's just if we constrain supply. So the market's moved as well. 10 or 15 years ago, people weren't demanding, you know, gyms or cinema rooms or private dining rooms or all the sort of stuff out of the building. They just needed a transitionary apartment before they could buy a house. So I think the market's moved at the same time. But certainly what's also happened is all the things that we're now required to do. Yeah. Like, you know... <laughs> Tim's father tells us the time when there wasn't headwork infrastructure charges. And then the first ones came out, it was $300 a unit. Now we're paying twenty dollars to $30,000 a unit. On a good day. Yeah. yeah. And, and everything's just getting harder and there's more regulations and there's more requirements and they're just taking a lot longer. So all of this just has an impact on bringing supply on. Yeah. And then when we do, there's a lot more costs associated with it. And when you're a private developer, if you don't make a certain return on cost, the bank won't exactly. finance you. Exactly. So if the costs keep on going up, so does unfortunately the end price. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, again, it comes back to the planning system of, of saying, so where do we want the density? And sort of allowing that, making potentially a more streamlined process yeah. and, and making it easier. You know, there was recently we cut out a whole segment of the market where we said we don't want potentially townhome developments yeah. in certain areas and stuff like that just once again exacerbates mm. the situation. So I just think we've got to look at the supply levers. Yep. And it's not an overly hard fix. No. It's just uh, very controversial That's in certain right. areas of Brisbane. That's it. But I think that you know we are at a stage now where there's some will and there's an acknowledgement that we have an issue on our hands. As you say, we've just got to work our way through it. Absolutely. That's the easy bit, and right? I'm, I'm, well, it, it <laughs> yeah. is. I'm confident we can get there. Yep, Look, it, so it's, am I. it used to be where a few people were talking about it and everyone was dismissing it, but I now think everyone's on the same page. Mm. It's just the process to make yep. those changes happen. And I think both sides of politics, state and local, I think they're in unison now. Mm. And it's now just working through the process yeah. to, to get an outcome. And as we've often said, it's not going to happen overnight. And there's not one thing that will fix this. It's a range of things and it's going to take time, but we certainly need to move towards that because there's just there's some heartbreaking stories out there and you can see it firsthand. Now, thinking ahead to the next decade, so you'd be in your, your late 20s at this stage, Mike, <laughs> what's your vision for property in Queensland and also ARIA? 
Look, I think Queensland, I think, I know at the acceptance speech of the Olympics when the Premier and the Lord Mayor got up to accept it, they both sort of said the same thing and they wanted Brisbane to be the cleanest, greenest and most sustainable Olympics. I think um, we've just got to own that. I think we've got to take it a step further and I think we've just got to set a goal for Brisbane to be the cleanest, greenest and most sustainable city, not just in Australia, but go a step further and say the world, there's no reason we can't be the next Singapore. Mm. We've got the climate to support it. We've got a city council that's, you know, large enough and yes. encapsulates such a large area where we have the ability to do that. And I just think we need to think about how we can sort of incentivize yeah. and support that to happen. Because I know in Singapore, they went, well, there's no more land area. So if everyone just builds a building, that's not adding to it. But maybe if we open up the ground floors under the buildings yes. and we have public open space and park, well, we can offset that with some more density. Mm. If we do, you know, more sustainability and green features and hit all these metrics, well, there's a cost to do that. There's more density. So I think if we can come up with legislature or incentives or some policies around that where it's acknowledged that there's an increase in cost in doing that, but at the same time that can be offset with more revenue by more units in a development or more houses, I think that's a smart way to go. So I think owning that clean, green and sustainability is a huge thing. And then also, I think we just got to continue on. You know, I think Brisbane used to be the, the little brother to Sydney and Melbourne when mm-hmm. it came to architecture, design, public realm and such. And I now think that there are some developers and developments happening in Brisbane that aren't just great in Brisbane, no. but they're actually best in country. Yeah. And I think we can continue that on in Brisbane where we actually start to lead the nation in, you know, all things development, architecture, design, public realm. And you just have to look at some of the amazing developments and precincts in Brisbane now emerging that, you know, they're talking about all over Australia. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the really exciting part here in Brisbane with the right leadership, which mm. I think we're now getting. And obviously the Olympics coming up where that's the big thing. We're going to be on a world stage in 10 years. And when you're looking out over the opening ceremony over, you know, sort of the city and South Brisbane, you just want to see concrete and glass or do we want to see a a forest of green buildings on the horizon and really put our mark on the world? Time's ticking, isn't it? Absolutely. Nine years. Yeah. Nine years. How long does it take to get a building out of the ground? Well, one of our big ones from the moment we start planning to we're sort of cracking the champagne, it's it's easy four years. Yeah. So you're right. If you want to get a lot done, it's- uh, Now's the time. Absolutely. And what about Aria, Mike? I think we're just going to continue what we've been doing. We never want to rest on our laurels. We always want to improve on the last building and we're pretty passionate about continuing to redefine what, you know, people used to think of apartment living. So I think we uh, watch this space because we have some crazier ideas coming up. We have some uh, things that that are never been done before and, you know, we're certainly motivated to continue to build on what we've done in the past and, you know, we've got an amazing group of people at the company that we're always challenging each other and our projects to do better. So we're just going to continue to have fun and try and leave a legacy for uh, all of our families at the company. Fantastic. And 10 years from now, will Mike still be doing ultra marathons? Um, That's the big question, isn't it? I like to think I will be, yes. Yeah, good on you. Some version of it. Some version of it. Maybe a bit smaller. No, I don't think you can go backwards You either. can't go backwards. No, you just got to bend the mind <laughs> Keep a bit. running. Just keep, keep running. Keep on pushing that pain barrier. 
Fantastic. Well, I look forward to not only hearing about the ultramarathon success or otherwise, but also to, to watching and continuing to watch Aria's journey. It's an absolute pleasure to have almost a front row seat to that. So thank you for your time on Development Trump. Yeah, and thank you for your time too and everything you do for the industry. It's uh, greatly appreciated. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for listening to the UDIA Queensland's Development Drum podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure having you with us. Remember to rate and review this show on your favourite podcast app. While you're there, please make sure you click subscribe so you don't miss an episode.